And we've been studying in our series, Discipleship, looking at uh, Galatians 5 and, and Galatians chapter 6. And as Paul is describing what it looks like to walk with God and told us about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit that are in conflict with one another. They are uh, opposed to each other. And so he's given us pictures of what the works of the flesh look like and pictures of what the fruit of the spirit looks like so that we can see where we are in our walk with God and, and if we are truly bearing the fruit that God wants us to bear. And we've looked at that uh, over the past few weeks. And one of the things that I think happens that I think Paul addresses so well in this section is when we talk about discipleship, we sometimes have the tendency to think of discipleship merely as an individualistic pursuit. And if I'm going to be a disciple, then it's how that affects me. And what do I need to do in terms of my own individual walk? And one of the things you see the Apostle Paul now shift into is a description about what it means to be a disciple in reference to everybody else. But the rest of this section spends so much of its time now talking about what that means in terms of how we interact with each other and how we treat one another. And so that's what we're going to look at here in Galatians 5, 26 through chapter 6 and, and verse 5. Uh, it, it's an interesting section as well because on the surface, surface it appears to be full of contradictions. And that's what we're going to look at is a lot of things he says in one spot then turns around and seems that he says the opposite just a, mo- a moment later. But this is an important picture about us being together. If there's a phrase that you have probably grown weary of hearing since uh, the spring of 2020 is the phrase, we're all in this together. That has been put forward over and over and over again. And one of the reasons why that's been put forward to us is because we live in a culture in a time that is all about individualism. To not care about anybody else and to only worry about yourself. And the effort is then trying to get people to think beyond themselves and how their decisions and how their actions affect other people. And Paul is doing that in a spiritual sense after talking about here's what the works of the flesh are and here's what the fruit of the spirit is to understand that in our spiritual walk, we are interconnected and to consider what that means for us as we serve God. You'll notice in chapter five and verse 26, he begins by saying, let us not become conceited provoking one another, uh, envying one another. And so he, he gives us this, this warning then. I want you to be careful now, after we've talked about this spiritual walk and what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, don't be proud and don't be conceited and arrogant and, and don't be provoking other people and don't be envying them or jealous of them. It almost seems like a hard shift all of a sudden as he's gone from these individual characteristics and now talking about how we interact with each other. And I want us to think about that this sets the tone for this paragraph because he's going to describe ultimately what this looks like as he continues in in these sections. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken... In any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore a person with with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. First picture that I want you to see 
is that he doesn't say in this discipleship, in this walking with God, that this is something that you do all by yourselves. He begins by telling us, I want you to watch out for each other. And I think that's an important thing for us to think about for a minute. He says, if you see someone who is overtaken in a wrong, you aren't supposed to sit back and go, well, that's a real bummer for them. But as long as I keep my faith clean and do what's right, oh, you know, it all's good. As long as I have the fruit of the spirit, you know, shame for you, but good for me. I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. Sorry about you. Notice he gives a picture of, all right, you're walking by the spirit and you have the fruit of the spirit and you need to be paying attention to everybody else. You need to watch out for them. You need to have a concern for them. You need to see how they are going and how they are doing. And I think it's an important picture because he gives the image as if there are going to be those who unknowingly walk into traps. That's the imagery of being caught in a transgression that some of the translations say uh, others will say overtaken in a wrongdoing. It's not a picture of shaking your fist at God and say, well, I don't care about this and I'm going to do what I want to do. No, it's a picture as if you're walking along and then you're caught by temptation. You're almost unknowingly falling into the snare. You're overtaken by it. And he's saying we're watching out for each other and observing if someone is overtaken or caught in the trap that we are supposed to do something about it. And you'll notice that he gives a picture, two pictures really, of what we are supposed to do. The, the first picture he gives there in verse six or verse one of chapter six, terrible chapter break, chapter, chapter six, verse one, you who are spiritual. Now, there's always been some big question about well, what does it mean to be spiritual and who's spiritual and all that? But now that we've gone through the text in order, it's pretty clear who the spiritual are. Those who are walking by the spirit is just another way to say that those who have been walking by the spirit and are bearing that fruit. They are the ones who should go and uh, initiate that process of restoration. That would make sense if somebody's not walking by the spirit. They're not the person to then handle someone who also is not walking by the Spirit. That's not going to work out very well. Someone who is walking by the Spirit then is supposed to take advantage of the opportunity that they see to go and help and to go and restore that person. And so that's the first picture that's given to us. It's not that you would sit back and go, oh, I am so spiritual. And so therefore I have, or humbly, I am not spiritual. I am a mess. I'm a disaster. It's not that idea, but rather just the image of that lifestyle that is walking according to the spirit. And notice the image that's given with that in verse one, that you who are spiritual, you who are walking by the spirit, restore such a person with a spirit of gentleness. The help that we are supposed to give and the way that we are supposed to come to the person who is overtaken is in a spirit of gentleness. And I think that's really important because that's where chapter 5 verse 26 comes in. Is that if we go to that person in arrogance, we're not walking by the spirit, nor are we coming in a spirit of gentleness. If we are coming to that person and we are the one who is provoking, that's what verse 26 said. Don't provoke each other. We're coming in and we're poking them and provoking them. 
He says, that's not a spirit of gentleness. That's not what we are looking for in this moment. But rather that we would see the goal that is set before us. And the goal that is put before us is the restoration of the soul. That's what he's putting forward here. The goal is to restore the soul. The goal is not to be right. The goal is not to win. The goal is not to go up to the person and say, see, I told you so. I told you if you kept doing this kind of thing, this was going to happen. A spirit of gentleness, not a spirit of arrogance, not a spirit of provoking, but a spirit of gentleness that we are coming to that person and our goal is to try to restore and to help that soul. And I think that's why the rest of verse one gives the warning that it gives to watch out lest you also be tempted. It's really easy to be high and mighty when somebody else sins. Oh yeah, well, I don't have that problem. Oh, look at you. You're really messing up life. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so much more spiritual. I'm so much better than you. I don't know what your problem is. Really easy for the attitude of arrogance and jealousy and envy and provoking to all rise up when we are talking about interacting with one another. And so he's giving the picture, set those things aside. It's not pride and arrogance and provoking, but to focus on the soul, to be concerned about restoration. And thus, thus the person who is walking by the spirit then would be able to have this proper attitude. And notice verse two really amplifies that picture when he says in verse two that we are carrying each other's burdens. I want you to carry one another's burdens, which just simply means there is a responsibility to help. We've all been amazed if you've grown up in the pews about the parable of the Good Samaritan, about how all the religious people walk by this person who is hurt. And it is the one that you would least expect in that context and in that culture of Samaritan and the Jews and the Samaritans hate one another. And he's the one who's able to help. And you read that and go, but there's a responsibility to help. There's a responsibility to do something. And that's the imagery that Paul is conjuring up for us here is, is that we would understand that we have a responsibility to each other. Ever thought about your walk with God like that? That everybody in this room right now, we have a responsibility to. And so often, I think because of our individual culture, we're just like, I'm responsible for me. And I'm just taking care of me. And I'm worrying about my faith, my spirituality, and my eternity. Hope you're doing what I'm doing. And that's not what he says. He says we're watching out for each other and we're supposed to be carrying each other's burdens. We're supposed to be helping one another. In fact, notice the rest of verse 2. Notice how he pictures what we're doing when we understand that responsibility and go to help one another. He says, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. That's a pretty big statement. When we are going about watching out for each other and helping each other, we're actually fulfilling the law of Christ. And I would submit to you that I think he has in mind that the law of Christ is love. You are loving God and loving others 
When you watch out for one another, take responsibility and give that help. That's the law of Christ. That's the essence of what we've been called to do. I found it interesting to think about this because this was an issue that came up very early on in the book of Genesis. When God comes to Cain, says, hey, where is your brother? He had a very American attitude. Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) He ain't my problem. I'm doing just fine. You figure it out. But God answers the question very clearly. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are the keeper of the brothers and sisters in this room. You're supposed to care. And you're supposed to watch out for each other. And you're supposed to be concerned about one another and to act in such a way that reveals that. Which gives then an important, let me just bring this whole thing from a whole nother direction now. That means when somebody comes to us about how we've been overtaken by something, that we need to receive that as love and not get defensive and not get bent out of shape and say, oh man, that person hates me. No, they love you. The easy thing to do is to not say anything to each other and to just let everybody go on their merry way. You know, it's your life, your business. You do you. The hard thing, the loving thing, is to, with great fear and trembling, have to go to somebody and say, I think you've been caught by something and you don't realize it. And we need to be ones to receive that, to be willing to accept that, to be willing to hear it, to not immediately go, shields up, you're wrong, I'm a great Christian, I got it under control, I'm doing just fine, just leave me alone. We need to hear that and we need to hear it as love. And it's such an important picture that is given to us that since we understand the responsibility that we have and we understand that we're supposed to watch out for one another and we are supposed to come to one another when we see those things and we are supposed to say something, then we need to receive that, that that person is really loving me. That's what I hope that will be the first response you have. This person is really loving me by pulling me aside like this. They're really loving me because we all have blind spots and we all have problems. And Grant just read for us, we're all sinners and we're all lying if we don't say so. So we need help. And I think that's a beautiful picture that we would receive that help as love. We would receive it and not be upset by it, but be grateful. Be grateful I don't know if it would be something worse that you didn't say something that I'm going to get to eternity and go, why didn't you say something? You saw something that I didn't see. I wasn't aware of or something I thought I was strong at, but I wasn't. And you were willing to help. No greater gift that we could give to one another, but in restoring one another and carrying each other's burdens. 
And what Paul does in verses 3 through 5 and the rest of the section of the text that we're going to look at then is I think he now offers three very important attitudes that we need to have in this process. As we understand that here we are and we are interconnected and we do have a responsibility to one another and that we don't walk with our faith alone. And it's not about being all by ourselves, but that we need to be joined together and we need to be watching out for one another and we need to say something and we need to restore in a spirit of gentleness that how are these attitudes supposed to come about? What does this look like for us? You notice the first picture then is in verse three when he says, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. First picture. Don't think so much of yourself. If we're going to help each other and watch out for one another and care for one another and have a responsibility to each other and restore one another, then do not think so much about ourselves. And I love what he says here. You're deceiving yourself if you think you are something. I love when the scriptures do that kind of thing. Now, let me, important thing to say. This is not talking in some absolute sense that you absolutely no value, you're dirt, you're worthless, and you're just, you know, you're, you're just terrible. Obviously, God doesn't intend that because if God felt that way, he wouldn't have sent his son to die for you. Obviously, the death of his son shows the extreme value that God places on every single human being. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about how you think of yourself. And you go around going, I am amazing. I am a great Christian. You know, God is proud to have me because look at me. Don't think of yourself as something. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. And I think that's important because so often what I think gets into our spiritual individualism is the belief that we just don't need anybody. I'm fine. I'm doing great. I am rock star Christian. I read my Bible and I study and I pray and I I don't need anybody. I'm fine. And I hope that you would accept this point. If you don't think you need other Christians, that's pride. If you don't think you need the family of God, that's pride. If you think you can do this all by yourself, that's pride. God is giving a warning right here. Don't think of yourself so highly as if you can just pull this off. There's a reason that God created the community of faith. There's a reason that God put us together, why he wanted those things to happen. And so the picture is given to us in that way that we would have that that view of one another, that we need one another, that we are dependent upon one another, that we help one another and see that in that way. And not only does God see it, I think, from that point of view, but obviously the point of view that we are completely dependent upon God. How can we see ourselves as anything when we grasp that we are completely dependent upon God. Paul Paul wrote so many things like this as well as uh, other writers. I love how Paul says this when he wrote it to the Corinthians. He says, for who considers you as superior? What did you have that what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Name thing, one thing that you have that's not from God. Go. 
All right? Then stop acting like you're something. (laughs) Stop acting like you're big stuff spiritually. We're nothing before God and we are completely dependent upon God. I love this picture as Jesus gave it in the Gospel of John. When Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. We love this part. And the one who remains in me, I and him bear much fruit. And we put the period right there. Okay, you know, Jesus is the vine and we're the branches and, and we bear got to bear fruit. But read that, let rest of that. For apart from him, you can't do anything. Anything you've got is because of God. And so often we don't look at life like that. We don't look at our spiritual journey that way. We look at it as if it is this individual pursuit that has no interconnection to anybody else. And so that is the first picture that he gives to us in having a right attitude is to not think that we're something. Now, the very next line sounds like a contradiction of sorts. Watch verse four, though. Let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. I thought you just said not to have boasting and pride. And now you turn around and say, so have examine yourself and then you can have pride in that. What are you getting at when you say that, Paul? That seems to not resonate at all. But I think the idea behind this is that Paul is telling us to enjoy our own work and our own walk without comparison. And why would that be so important? I think here's why. Because pride typically comes from comparison. What generates pride? I look at somebody else and I go, well, I'm better than that. I look at their work. Oh, I'm doing more than that. I look at where they are in their faith. Oh, I'm stronger than that. Oh, here's where they are in their walk with God. I'm better than that. So much of pride and so much of the problem of arrogance and how we interact with one another is because we look at somebody else and go, oh, they're not where I'm at. I'm doing so much better. I'm making better decisions. I walk with God closer. I am far more more holy. I am so much better. And so notice he gives the picture here is don't worry about everybody else's work. But instead, grade your own work. Look at your own efforts. Look at where you are in your walk with God. You know, that's a whole lot more humbling, by the way. If you're honest, I don't know that you'll look at your walk with God and go, man, I'm acing it. I am just nailing the test right now. I'm crushing it. I only do that when I look at somebody else and I pick out somebody and I go, oh, okay, look, I'm really nailing it. Look, I'm I'm so much better than them. So much further down my journey. So much more mature. So much more wise. All right, evaluate yourself in a bubble before God. How are you doing? Might not be quite so proud. Now, rather than overlooking all of my problems because I see somebody else's problems, I just evaluate myself and see where I really am. I think that's the idea, is that you can enjoy where you're at. You can enjoy your walk with God. You can appreciate how far you've come. And there can be joy and pride in a good way about, ah, God has brought me so far. 
And as just as real go, and I've got so far to go. One of the things I have felt is the more I get older, the more of a failure I feel. The more I get into God's word, the more I feel like I'm falling short. It's funny how that is. I feel like younger on, I'm like, oh, yeah. Now it's like, I'm understanding better what God wants of me. And I think that's the picture that's given here, that it's not a contradiction, but rather that we would simply evaluate ourselves and that we would truly look at ourselves and stop the comparison game, stop looking at others and look at where you are with God. And the reason why is the third attitude that he gives there in verse five. Because all of us have to carry our own load. Now there again, sounds like another contradiction because he just said we're all carrying each other's loads. But the point that he's getting at right here is at the end of the day, you are accountable for you. At the end of the day, while we're supposed to be helping one another and we're watching out for one another and we are caring for one another, at the end of the day, you will be held accountable to God and there's not going to be anybody there for you to be able to blame. There's nobody that you're going to be able to point the finger at and say, well, but because of this or because of that. And sometimes that's what we think we are going to be able to do. We think we're going to be able to blame others for our own spiritual condition. And I hope you'll hear what Paul is saying when he says this in verse five. Our sins belong to us alone. And we will be held accountable for the decisions that we made. And I understand we have been given a bad deck of cards to play in life. I believe everybody believes that I don't think anybody thinks they got all 52 cards. All of us were given bad decks. All of us have obstacles, challenges, problems. No one goes, man, I got the perfect deck. I just, you know, my upbringing and my raising, my team, you know, just perfect. All of us have bad decks. But you can't blame your parents. You cannot blame your spouse. You cannot blame your kids. You cannot blame your family. You cannot blame your neighbors. You can't blame the poor workers at some restaurant. You can't blame the church. You can't blame the shepherds. You can't blame the preacher or blame anybody else for the cards that you have been given by God and how you've played them. God's given you the deck. And only you can play them. And you will be accountable to God for how you played them. You must carry your own load and you must give an account. We can have messed up pasts, messed up upbringings, not denying people have done things to you, harmed you, done all kinds of things to you. But here's the thing that I don't understand. I don't understand that even with the bad decks that we are given and the pain that we have to deal with and the hardships that we deal with and all the the baggage that we come into in our lives, why would we let those people continue to hurt us, disappoint us, and have power over us in such a way that we are unable to enjoy the future life that God is giving to us? I'm going to agree to your bad deck. I'm not even arguing with your deck. 
Your deck stinks. Okay. You have two cards in the deck. <laughs> Fine. But why are you going to allow your past and those people to cause you to be unable to enjoy what God's trying to give you? I could talk a lot about that. I, I, I'll, I'll just say this. I wish I understood this a long time ago. I allowed a lot of teenage years and early 20s to live in the world of all the things all these people had done that had caused me to have a bad deck, completely outside of my decisions or power. Just here's your terrible deck. And I was allowing all that in the past to destroy the present. Instead of seeing what God was trying to do to go forward with the future that he had for me. At the end of the day, you have to play the cards you're dealt. And I can dislike my deck all I want. But at the end of the day, God gave you the deck. And we'll be held accountable for what we did with it. You think about the parable that Jesus told of the people who were given the various levels of money, talents. One guy did nothing. I want to be the guy that goes, you only gave me one. So I don't have to do anything with my one, right? Those people got five and two and they've got so much more going for them. I only got one. But what do you do with the one? That's what God asks of us. I think it's so important that we carry the load that God has given us. God has put us into the wilderness. This is a time of testing. It's a revealing of our hearts to see what we will do with what God has given us. And it's a beautiful picture that I think is given to us in this, in this paragraph about what it looks like to be a disciple. Let's pull it all together as we conclude. Number one. We're connected and we're supposed to show love for each other by watching out for each other. We're supposed to be connected. We're supposed to be paying attention. We're supposed to be looking out for each other. We're supposed to say something. So we need to have the courage to say it and we need to have the courage to receive it. Number two, we are fulfilling the law of Christ when we help. We need to see this as a responsibility. An important responsibility that is given to us. And so help with a spirit of gentleness, not of arrogance, not of provoking, not out of envy, not out of jealousy, not an I told you so, not look at me, I'm so great, and what's the matter with you? No, all of this is supposed to keep us from arrogance and pride and envying and provoking. And the way that he tells us to do that is don't think you're something before God. Evaluate your own work. See where you are. And know you will be held accountable for carrying your own load. That could be tough. But it's the call that has been given to us if we're going to be disciples. It's not about just simply bear fruit. But be connected. Help each other. Watch out for one another. 
Restore one another. Do it with gentleness. Do it in a way that you would want somebody to come to you if you were overtaken. And then understand at the end of the day that even if everybody in this room fails you, you must stand before God with your deck and must give an account for what you've done. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, these are challenging teachings from your Apostle Paul. God, I pray that you would keep us from arrogance and keep us from provoking one another and being envious of one another. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we have. Forgive us for when we have compared ourselves with one another and that's led us to pride or led us to provoking or led us to envy. Lord, keep us from comparison and instead help us to focus on what you've done for us. Help us to focus on the the burden that we are given by you to carry. And God, I pray that we would see that you are with us in this journey. And sometimes we can just feel like our, our load is unfair. We can feel like our load is unreasonable. We can feel like our load is too hard. And so God, I pray that you would give us spiritual strength and faith to see that you are with us and that you are testing us and that you are there to help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us each to see each other in a way that we can help each other, how we can help each other carry each other's burdens. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to come alongside one another and, and give us the comfort or the rebuking or the correcting that we need. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us at times that we have looked at this journey is too much. Forgive us for when we have blamed everybody else for our difficulties, when we've ultimately just failed to make the decisions that you've want us to make. Forgive us for our failures and our trials. Forgive us for how often we fail in those decisions. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the future that you have in store for us. And Lord, for any in the room who have been, feel like they have been crushed by their burdens, that you would help them to pick those burdens up, that you would come alongside of them and give them the help that they need to keep pressing on before the goal that's before us. Lord, help us because we do fall short. And we do fall down and we do feel weary. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength that we need to finish this walk and finish this race so that we could be with you for eternity. Help us to see the joy that is ahead and put aside the pain that's behind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song and we do invite you to come to Jesus this morning. And I hope that you'll see that he describes himself as the ultimate burden bearer. Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. I'll give you what you're looking for. You're not going to find it anywhere else. The help you need, the hope you need, it's not found anywhere but in him. We want you to enjoy that. 
All of us have terrible debts that we deal with. God has a hope that's given to you. Can we help you in any way to come to him with all of your heart? Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins if you haven't done that. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?